As I was thinking about this, I'm always aware as I speak in April that for some of you, I will never see you again this side of heaven. That's just a reality. Uh, some may go to mission fields. Some will go just different ways. I, I was talking to a few people, uh, actually a person in my senior class, they had a, a Zoom meeting, and I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but I did it. One of those people I last saw in June of 1975. He did not go to Christian college. He's moved to Texas. He's gone through some difficulties. I've written him. I found out he'd been through a divorce. He got involved in alcohol, and he's now in a good a church that he was helping him. But I've not seen him in person. And with college, as people go into ministry, uh, some will come back for leadership conference. If it's in the fall every year, it's tough if you're a teacher, obviously, because you're teaching school at that time. Uh, some are going to be in the mission field. And we may not, may not be on your path when you're on furlough or a deputation. And so it, it always weighs, you know, this is the last thing I can say to some folks if you're not in a class I have this semester. And so I'd like to title this message this morning, What Should We Do? What should we do? And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to two passages in the New Testament. First of all, Matthew chapter 28, a passage most of you probably know. We call this the Great Commission. And then over to Luke chapter 19, if you will. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And then Luke chapter 19, verse 13. I was thinking... I thought a lot about this last weekend as it was kind of pastor called Welcome Back Sunday. It was such a great day. And I attended three of the four services and watched people get saved. And uh, by the way, I'm thankful that somebody, there was a young man named Radu, R-A-D-U, who's been watching our church services online, checking out West Coast Online. He's not on any of our list, not on any of our uh, names where we would call him. He's 22. He's from Moldova and uh, drives for FedEx. And he decided to just come out and see it. And they came out here, flew out on Saturday, went to the services on Sunday, and flew back to Minneapolis on Monday to go back to work at FedEx on Tuesday. And someone found him, and uh, the usher was wise enough to get him to Jacob Fleming, who teaches our singles. And Jacob had his sister bring him to me, and uh, he, I invited him to my home for lunch on Sunday, and I spent about three hours with him. I've already sent him some books, called him on Monday. He was at the airport at that time. And Dr. Getsch, you know what he said? He said, it's so much better in person. I said, that's exactly right. And you have been here in person for a semester or a year, and you've been seeing what God can do. You've been a part of things, and it is better in person. Uh, some things are better felt than telt, has, has often been said. And so what should we do after having been here a year? I hope that many of you want your Bible will come back. I heard at least two young men are coming back, and so I'm going to get my degree. I think that's very wise. I don't think anyone will ever be sorry that you finished a college degree. I don't think you'll ever be sorry for that. Now, God may call you to do something else. I understand that. And I was talking to a faculty member yesterday, and he was talking about a child. He said, maybe go, interested in going nursing. That's a, that's a good calling. I said, well, encourage her to give God a year in Bible college first. And I said what I often say, I think she'll be a better wife and a better mother for having come here for a year. And he agreed with me. And... Uh, I really believe that. Now, if God calls her to be a nurse, I think she got to go on to a place that teaches nursing. That's not us, although we have a few accents she could practice on around here. No, not really. But, uh, and I understand that. God's, God's will and God's call makes the difference there. But you have been here, whether it's for one year, whether it's for a longer period of time, so what should we do? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Flip over to Luke chapter 19, verse 13. Luke chapter 19, verse 13. And I want to take just four words out of this verse. I think they're very important words, and I think that these words oft times are not followed in churches. I think a lot of churches are maintaining. They're hanging on till the Lord comes back. And yet it says here in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, it says these words. It says, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Will you go forth this summer? Will you go forth into your life seeking to impact the lives of others with salvation and seeking to occupy till the Lord comes back? Let's pray before we start this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this honor and this privilege. I don't take it lightly or for granted. Lord, we prayed, we tried to prepare, and I believe this is what you wanted me to preach on today. And Lord, I pray that I will emphasize that which I ought. I pray I'll delete something you would not have me to talk about. And Lord, I pray that the preaching will not fall on empty ears, but I pray the people will listen, they'll hear, they'll ask how you would have them to apply it in their own lives. Lord, I thank you for the privilege and the honor of being a part of West Coast Baptist College now for 24 years. It's been a high honor in my life. And Lord, I truly believe these young people can be difference makers in the world in which we now live. And I pray that you give them a heart to not just know the Great Commission, which many of them have memorized, but to obey it. And I pray that you give them a heart to occupy till either you call them home or till you return. Lord, I acknowledge that in this, as in all other things, I desire and I need your help. Knowing the arm of flesh will fail us and knowing your arm fails not. So we ask for your help this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What should we do? That is a question I probably ask myself every day. I make a list of things that I need to do people I need to write, people I need to meet with. I know today I'm meeting with a prospective student. It's a young lady, so my wife obviously is going with me. Last night I was having dinner with someone that was here helping us with our tracks and our accreditation. It was on my schedule. It was on my schedule to get a haircut yesterday. I wanted to remain in the ranks of fundamentalism. Just kidding. But uh, some of you guys might want to consider that as well. But uh, that was on my schedule. It was my schedule to write a thank you note to someone. Uh, the Lord put in my heart yesterday to write an encouraging note to Kay Husband, who's been very, very ill. And so I just, I, th I feel that came from the Lord. It didn't come from the devil saying, encourage someone who's sick at home. I'm not going to go visit her by myself, but I just said, people are praying for you. And I said, what should I, I thanked her for her great help. Uh, for many years, she helped organize the funerals here. And I've spoken at a lot of funerals and she did a great job with it. I said, thank you for your good job with that. And uh, I just said, I want you to know we're praying for you, Mark and Susan. And so the Lord put on that. So we have things we do. Well, yesterday, things I had to do. I had to be here to teach my class at 7.15. I had to be here in chapel. I had to teach my class after chapel. Those are things I needed to do. Very simple. Very simple. Uh, when we say things we need to do, we usually carve out time for a meal. Uh, went home and made a sandwich real quick and had a glass of iced tea and I came back and worked some more. But there's things we're going to do. But more importantly, what are the things you're going to do with your life as a whole? What are the things you're going to do as you leave here in less than a month now, and you enter the summer at least, and some of you enter ministry? 
And whether it's just this summer, or whether it's for your full-time ministry for, I believe, 149 of you, I hope that you remember these three things that I believe God clearly tells us that we ought to do. They're short, they're succinct, they're simple, but they are easier to know than they are to obey. I know what God wants me to do. I know God wants me to have a daily walk with him. The question is, will we do it? I know God wants me to be in church. The question is, will we do it? I know God wants me to tithe and give an offering, but will we do it? Those ones aren't real hard for me. There's two others. I know God wants me to pray. He tells us to pray without ceasing. So will we do it? Who are you praying for? What missionary have you encouraged this year and told them you're praying for them? How about your pastor? Does he know you're praying for him? I texted pastor Saturday night before he started the week. He said, I'm praying for you. Sunday morning early, maybe 6.15, I said, I know you got to preach three times. I'm praying for you. And you know what? You see, he probably wrote you a nice note back. He had two letters, T-Y, thank you. But I'm not doing it to get something back. It's because I ought to do it. God tells us to pray without ceasing. Uh, God tells us that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We have not because we ask not. That young man said to me, he said, well, somebody told me I had to read the book, Prayer, Asking, Receiving. And I had been given some books. I was going to put them in a sale later on. We're downsizing for offices. And I said, I think I've got that book. And I actually had it in a box in my truck. Went in my truck. I gave him pastor's devotional on Proverbs. And I gave him that book, Prayer, Asking, Receiving, by Dr. John Rice. Dr. Rice understood what prayer was all about. So... This morning, it starts with, we will go. And this is the shortest one. Most of you have already decided you're going to go. You're going to do what God's called you to do. You're going to go where God's called you to go. The first word of the Great Commission is go. We've got to get up and go. God did not save us to sit. He's, he saved us to serve. Many of you here worked hard for the hut. I commend you for that. I, we had several visitors here that weekend. They were so thrilled. I said, that was a student-led activity. 84 people accepted Christ as their Savior. What a blessing. What an encouragement. By the way, it started because some people were willing to go. People by osmosis didn't say, well, let's go to Lancaster Baptist Church and find Easter eggs. No, I was out last week. I still saw some flyers for the hut. People went. They knocked doors. They invited people to get And people came. What a huge blessing. Some of the old hymns cover this well. Bring them in. Hark, tis the shepherd's voice I hear, out in the desert dark and drear, calling the sheep who've gone astray far from the shepherd's fold away. Who'll go and help this shepherd kind, help him the wandering ones to find, who'll bring the lost ones to the fold where they'll be sheltered from the cold. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in for the fields of sin. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Can I say this morning, I'm going to tell you the churches where people are getting saved. This is so profound. Where there are visitors. We had 700 plus visitors here on the campus for the hunt. And many people got saved. I've told two groups. I don't always, I'll usually always talk about the gospel at the end of the Sunday morning message, but I said, 
I always try to find it if there's visitors there. Because if there's not visitors, you're not going to usually see people get saved. We need to bring them in. I challenge you when you go home, be a person who brings visitors in. It was up in Washington, Lakewood, Washington, and we had a youth activity on a Saturday night. And I was excited, and I was really excited when I found out there was about 11 or 12 public school kids there. And we talked about the gospel. We talked about Jesus. And you know what happened that night? I believe seven young people trusted Christ as their Savior because someone was willing to bring them in. Can I challenge you to go? We know the song, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snatch Them in Pity from Sin in the Grave, Weep over the Erring One, Lift up the Fallen, Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I talked to two of our board members this week, and I was relining up scholarships for the scholarship chapel, and I talked to a man, Sarah Youssef, uh, Faith Baptist Church of Sydney, and he talked about people being saved. I called Warren Bale, who's in Christ Church, New Zealand. They had 60 first-time visitors at Easter. Had to be translated. There were Chinese workers there. But people invited them. They came in. Most of them didn't know who Jesus was. He told me a story, Dr. Getch, that I have not been able to stop thinking about. He said, how many of you ever heard about Jesus? And one person raised his hand. One person. He goes, where'd you hear about Jesus? He goes, at my school. He was kind of excited. So someone came to school and told you about Jesus. He goes, no. People say his name when things happen on the playground. That's all they knew about Jesus. If you feel God's called you to the mission field, I beg of you, don't turn your back on that. And by the way, maybe if God's spoken to you about that this year, happiness is finding God's will in doing it. Bring them in. Bring them in. Uh, we have to go. It's the first word of the Great Commission. Uh, we know this. You've been taught personal evangelism here. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. We know we should go. I had a young man come to my office yesterday. He said, thank you for encouraging us to carry tracks. And by the way, I think we all ought to carry tracks. If you start now, you're 20 years in front of me because I didn't start until I moved to Lancaster 24 years ago. Are you ready to reach in your pocket and take out some and say, I've got some good news for you. Let me give you some good news. He told me the story in my office yesterday. He said, I was on a plane and I got to share the gospel, but I didn't have a track on me. I had nothing to give that person. Be prepared. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, what should we do? First of all, we should be willing to go. I realize that your focus reports will end in four weeks. You will not tell us if you went witnessing. You will not tell us if you were involved in a ministry. Uh, but there is a greater focus report than West Coast Baptist College. Someday everyone will give an account for himself for the things that are done in the flesh. We will give an account. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't hide it under a bushel. We have to be willing to go and share the good news of the gospel. But secondly, as you leave here, I hope you'll be willing to pray. What should we do? We should pray. I appreciate that we have a mission prayer band. 
I encourage you to have prayer lists for different things. I saw a faculty member, I've got one of my list is the teenage children, not all the children, but it's the teenagers of our staff members. Dr. Getch has granddaughters on there. And uh, Brother England's got a daughter on there, their ages. Brother Rule's got three children on there. Joseph's not quite a teenager yet. I just know this. I told Dr. Getch this morning about a pastor that we have both preached for who said, I pray for you, Pastor Chapel, Dr. Getch, every week. That was an encouragement to me. I passed it on to Dr. Getch. There's an old preacher who can't even walk anymore. His name is Dr. Green, who prays for us every day. Every day. I'm 63 years of age. That's a blessing to me. Can I challenge you to be a blessing to someone else? Make your list, maybe a different list for each day of the week. Get prayer requests from people. We have a student sitting here today who's got two siblings. One is an agnostic, one's an atheist. I'm praying for those two, two young people. They heard the gospel the last week. I pray the, the Holy Spirit will bring them to repentance. I'm glad I could enter into prayer for that person who's sitting here today. He's in one of my classes this semester. And one of the things I do, I take prayer requests for the classes I teach. Who does God want you to pray for? When we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. It's a great thing to depend on prayer, said A.C. Dixon. We had, a prayer for our, we had a prayer for our pastor. Can I encourage you to write him a note this week to say, I prayed for you this week? Give me a postcard. If you don't have the stamp for it, I'll buy the stamp. Bring it by my office addressed, I'll mail it for you. Encourage your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Uh, we ought to pray for our missionaries. I mentioned that. I try to pray, send a personal email to all of our missionaries at least once a semester. And it comes out roughly eight or nine a week. Mention in your country, tell them I prayed for them that day. I pray for them that day. It's been a blessing to a lot of them. By the way, you could get it, it's free. All it would take you is maybe one minute of time on your phone. Send an email. I remember days when we used to have to get foreign mail letters, real thin tissue they'd fold over. Cost money, not anymore. All it takes is a little bit of effort to pray and encourage a missionary. I got a nice email back this week from Rick Martin, man who's faithfully served for over four decades in the Philippines. Man, I can pray for him. How about you pray for the missionaries from your church? Say, our church, home church supports you. I'm one of their students. I'm in Bible college right now. I want you to know you're my missionary of the day today, and I prayed for you today. If you've got 100 missionaries, you'd be through them in about three months. Let me encourage you to pray for missionaries. Thirdly, we ought to pray for the lost. Everyone here knows of someone who is lost. I have one brother that I pray for. I don't want him to go to hell. He went to Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. He has two Bible college degrees. He makes no claim of salvation. He didn't go to church on Easter Sunday, which I'm so glad about. But recently, his daughter was led to the Lord by one of our graduates, Joseph Rasmussen, who's a children's pastor at Faith Baptist. She's about eight years of age. She got saved about two weeks ago. And my sister-in-law, Kelly Rasmussen, set up a lunch appointment to witness to his wife. Grew up in Mexico. Hispanic, Catholic family. 
and she walked away from the feeling she had the assurance of her salvation. She's been listening to the services every week, listening to my brother's Sunday school class every week. But I'm praying for him. Pray for the lost. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Some things take longer. My dad prayed for his father every day for 14 years before he got saved. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for a due season you'll reap if you faint not. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no, a resounding no. Let's ask him as we pray for the lost. I believe we ought to pray for more laborers. Most of you are aware of the fact that our goal, our motto is trading laborers for his harvest. Where does that come from? Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers in the harvest field. I came here the third year of the college, Dr. Getz came here the second year, and we didn't really have a yearbook. And I did the first yearbook, which was the third year. They had done a previous one that got thrown away, but um, we did the first yearbook. And I named the yearbook The Harvester, because Jesus prayed for people to be in the harvest field. Are we praying for more laborers? Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This is the time of the year when I'm getting call after call after call to people looking for laborers. Bedford, Oregon. I'd like to get two teachers from there this last week. Lancaster Baptist School. Need a kindergarten teacher. Are you willing to be a laborer? Are you praying for laborers? I, w- I believe we ought to pray for the laborers themselves, that they'll continue to be the salt of the earth, and they'll be the light of the world. Let me say this. Pray that God will allow you to be a laborer. Pray that God will allow you to be a laborer. I was finished preaching on a Wednesday night in Fort Myers, Florida. It was tiring. I spoke at three different schools the three days I was there. Drove one day, an hour and a half each way to the school, and then I, I, I'd written new messages for this missions conference, and I was tired, and it was long. I had to pack up all our books, and uh, we had just enough we could carry them back and not have to ship them back. My wife could put all of her stuff in a little roller bag, and so we checked out the way out, the way back she carried it, and I was able to send books back, and so it was a late night. And we got in the hotel, and we literally were on the third floor heading towards our room. And lady says, I know you. <laughs> okay? And of course, we're wearing masks, too, so, you know, who am I, the highwayman or whatever? And my wife's standing there with me. She says, I know you. I know you from Indiana. I didn't know them. I didn't remember them. But they knew us, amazingly. They'd been there for 40 years. By the way, they've been faithful in church. They were Dr. Weaver's Sunday school class. They loved the Weavers. They've been to their home many times. But I thought about this because I knew a lot of people who went there who got a good job when they were in college. One of those jobs particularly was UPS. I know a man who went there to trade, got hired at UPS, and he recently retired from UPS and spent all those years working for UPS. I have prayed that people will not be so successful in solar that they stay in solar or at the warehouse that they stay in the warehouse. This man has worked for the city of Hammond for 40 years. He's going to retire the next year. I thought about that. By the way, thank God they're faithful in church. Uh, they're going to Glen, they were going to Glenn Wiggins Church the next week, and I said, oh, Glenn's a great friend of mine. I taught him at college. His daughter, Caitlin, graduated from West Coast. And 
I contacted Glenn, told him the name of the people who were coming to his church, and um, they said it's very, they've been there one other time before. It was wonderful, wonderful. But in my heart, I wondered, what was he originally planning to do? What was he originally called to do? Can I challenge you today, don't grow weary in well-doing. Stay with your call. Do what God wants you to do. Someday, I believe with all my heart, you're going to say, I'm glad I did, and not say, I wish I had. Oh, UPS gives six weeks paid vacation, retirement benefits, pension, great medical. And I wouldn't trade it for one year of what I've been able to do for the last 42 years. I challenge you on that. Pray for laborers to stay faithful. You know, the Apostle Paul asked for this. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul said in Romans 15, verse 30, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul wanted the prayers of God's people. The greatest missionary church planner who ever lived, a man who wrote half the New Testament, he's asking the church at Rome to pray for him. What should we do? We should go. What should we do? We should pray. I mentioned the verse already, pray without ceasing. I believe the greatest example of this is in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I must move quickly. He prayed when he was alone, Matthew 14, 23, Mark 1, 35, Luke 6, 9, 18, Luke 22. He prayed in public, John 11, 41 and 42, John 12. He prayed before meals, Matthew 26, 26, Mark 8, 6, Luke 24, 30. Uh, Jesus prayed before important decisions, Luke 6, 12 through 13. He prayed before healing, Mark 7, 24, 34 through 35. He prayed after healing, Luke 5, 16. He prayed to do the Father's will, that's a good one. Matthew 26, 36 to 44. Among other things, he taught the importance of prayer. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And if it was an important facet of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more so should it be in our lives as well? I challenge you to read John 17 for a great example on Jesus praying. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, the scriptures say, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord. How do we sin? In ceasing to pray for you. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Prayer is mentioned over 400 times in the King James Bible. But how much do we practice this in our own life? I said one thing to my wife as I walked by her as she was sitting next to Mrs. Weaver. I said, please pray for me. I covered her prayers. I know Dr. Gatchis prayed about this today. I have no doubt Pastor, he prays for the chapels every day. And friends, there's people who covet your prayers as well. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It counts, my friends. Thirdly, and I finished with this this morning, we will go, we will pray, and we will give. Giving is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. You say, I give my tithe. I say amen. And I would encourage you, and I realize when you're in college, you're usually as poor as Job's turkey. That's poor. I don't know where that came from, but I heard that somewhere. Give your tithe and give something to missions. I don't care if it's a dollar, because missions is the heart of God. 
And I'm going to say this, you can't outgive God. And yes, we ought to give. Uh, I'm going to tell you folks going to Jewish outreach. I believe you owe $600 tithe of that $6,000 scholarship you give. I believe that would honor God and please Him. Um, I try to tithe on the benefits I'm given. I'm given medical benefits, which are significant. I tithe on that because the Bible says tithe on the increase. Uh, there's certain things I get as I serve here. Um, we ought to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, laid out for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and dust rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Bible says in Luke, give it, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, shall men give into your bosom, for the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You can't outgive God, ladies and gentlemen. Give it, it shall be given unto you. And when God puts it on your heart to give to someone, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. It's not Satan telling you to share what God's given you with other people to be a blessing to others. You can't outgive him. The Bible says in Psalm 81, verse 10, I like this verse, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. <laughs> what a great promise that is. We talk about giving. Many of you say, well, I don't have a lot of money in college. I get that. I paid my own tuition through college. I wanted seven children. And when I, the day I graduated, I was debt free and I had $400 to my name, which I bought a car for $400 the next day. Now you say, what kind of car was that? Not a good one. <laughs> it was a combination color, was brown and rust. You could see through the panels, snow and salt in Indiana. I never changed the oil. I drove for two years, I sold it for $200. It was a great vehicle, all right? Don't do that, okay? I didn't have much money. I went to three activities in college. After my freshman year, I worked six nights a week. Never worked a Sunday, but I had to work. I didn't have a lot of money. I don't think I went out to eat in four years of college more than five times. I didn't have the money to do it. But we talk about giving, we're not just talking about finances. I'm talking about giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Will a man rob God? Where did we rob thee? Well, in tithes and offerings. We all understand that. Can I say this? Let's not rob God with not giving our life. The Bible says we've been bought with a price. The Bible says we are not our own. We belong to the Lord. I'm going to say this morning that I believe I understand this concept of laying up yourselves treasures in heaven probably better than anyone here. I say, Doctor, how can you say that? I'm about to tell you why. Have you been here for 24 years? As most of you know, we have a big offering every year in the spring. Our first year here, we had not bought a new house yet. We gave part of the equity of our home to that offering. I wanted to be all in. It was for the building of this auditorium. And the next year, we're raising money for this auditorium. We gave 
some stock we owned, and one year we gave some silver. Most years it was a check, it was money. Dr. Getch, I don't know if it hits you, but after about five years I said, good night, these are going to be every year for the rest of my life. That was not an encouraging thought, but it was good. Because you know what? You can't take it with you. I never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer behind it. But one year came and I had less than $500 in my checking account and we had some bills coming. I had no stocks. I'd give the silver bars I had and I said to myself, well, this year, Lord, I just can't do it. And it was almost instantaneously, it was like the Lord said to me, what about what's in your jewelry chest? I get in my jewelry chest maybe once a year. And I have a little box on top that my daughter gave me from Thailand. I keep cufflinks of that, which I wear maybe once a month. But the jewelry chest itself is just like storage stuff. So I went to my dresser. I opened it up. In that jewelry chest, I had my high school ring. In 1999, Pastor Chapel gave Dr. Getsch and I West Coast ring. I've worn it every day since then. And let's me tell people about West Coast Baptist College. Pastor gave it to me. It's special. I've never worn my high school ring since then. I never bought a college ring, so I wear a West Coast ring. I've worn it, like I said, since 1999. I had my high school ring there. My mom had given it to me. It was 14 karat gold, had my name inscribed to the inside. I had a ring that my mom had given me in sixth or seventh grade. It was just 10 karat gold. It had a black onyx on it, the letter M. I was going to give it to my son Mark someday. It was too small for me and too big for him. I had two really nice pairs of cufflinks. I had never worn them one time in Lancaster. I'd been here seven or eight years at that time. I'm not much of a bling guy. I have no necklaces, just saying. One of those cufflinks had a gold Kruger on. My grandfather gave it to me at graduation. It was a quarter ounce gold coin, and I bought a matching one to make cufflinks out of. I'd never worn them once in Lancaster. And the other one was 14 karat gold Art Deco. And I had a roll of silver dollars. I bought them for an investment. There was 20 silver dollars in a roll. They were Morgan MS-63 silver dollars. I looked at all that. And I decided that I would give my class ring. I said, I'm just not ever going to wear it again. I even tagged it for the offering. It would be the smallest monetary gift I'd ever given. But I said, please note, this is 14 karat gold, not 10 karat. Pure gold is 24 carats. Most jewelry is 10, some is 14. Indian jewelry, which looks like a mustard color, is 18 karat gold. It's even purer. If it gets any more than that, it's soft enough you could bend the ring. They have to put some base metals in. I dropped it in the offering plate, and I forgot about it. Until about three months later, we came home from church one day and our house had been robbed. And the whole jewelry chest was gone. I've never seen any of those things ever again. And I'm going to tell you what I thought. I wish I had given more. And I believe that someday every one of us are going to look at our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we're going to say, I wish I had given more. As you think about that, my time is about up. I want to say this. I hope you realize that you can make a difference. You can be a difference maker in the lives of others through giving of your time, your talent, your treasure. I have a picture of a man I like to put on the screen. This man's name is Michael Benefante. He's walking away from the Trade Center Towers on 9-11. He's there with another man whose name is John Sakari. 
I Googled this again this morning to get, make sure I had my facts exactly right. Michael wrote a book about this, pretty amazing. It's called A Reluctant Hero, A 9-11 Hero Speaks Out About That Unthinkable Day. He tells a story in that book that really made me think. Michael's office was on the 81st floor. And he realized when that happened, he said, I've got to get everyone out of here. And he shepherded people towards him. He says, get out, get out. By the way, they were told to stay where they were. It was bad advice. He said, we've got to get out of here. And finally, when everyone was out and heading down the stairwells towards safety, Michael was the last to leave that floor. John was with him. When he got down to the 69th floor, there was a lady who said, I need help. Her name was Tita Hansen. She was in a wheelchair. And he had a decision to make. Do I keep going or do I help her? Obviously, it would cost him something. It would cost him time. It would hurt her. Here's a picture of Tita. You can tell by even her hand that she suffered some paralysis. I believe her C4 and C5 vertebrae had been severed. And Michael and John said, we got you. And they picked up that wheelchair with Tita and started going down those stairs. Now you talk about slowing one down. <laughs> it took them 96 minutes to get her down the 69 flights of stairs. Imagine if you go up or down a lot of stairs, how you feel in your quads, your calves, but carry that wheelchair. And they got Tita out literally six minutes before the tower fell. Six minutes. Their caring made all the difference in the world for Tina Hansen. And I believe what you should do is to go, to give, to pray. Because I believe that you can be used to make a great difference in the lives of others. In his book, he said this, I wrote this quote down, people were watching out for each other, helping each other, being kind to one another. And as I read that, I thought this, and they were unsaved. How much more should we do for a lost and dying world? 